when you sent through that video of your your recent swim technique, I was so blown away with just how much of an improvement you made in in the last four or five years. It looks like a looks like a different person. And I've had months and months where I've got no better, and then at the towards the end of it, I'm actually getting worse. And it wasn't a case of throwing in the towel or changing how I was doing things. I was confident that I was doing things the right way, and then suddenly. I could have a down week and come back in the pool and just have dropped one second off, off all my paces. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is pro triathlete Will Draper. In 2019, Will sent me an email with some footage of his swimming. And I did a Feedback Friday video on YouTube where I analyzed his stroke. And if you look back at that video, you'll notice that his body position's quite poor, his catch and pull's pretty average, his timing's not that great, and you wouldn't say he looks like a swimmer. Fast forward to today, if you look at video of Will swimming, you would think it's a completely different person. He sent me an email recently where he included some recent footage, and it is night and day. And if you go to our YouTube channel, and we'll include this in the show notes as well, you can see that comparison from 2019 to today, and you can see exactly how Will is swimming now. Back in 2021, Will qualified as a pro triathlete, and in 2022, he had several top 20 placings in the PTO ranked events, and for 2023, he actually had four top 10 results. So he's become a very good triathlete coming from a non-swimming background. So on this episode, I wanted to ask Will what he's done to get to that point coming from a non-swimming background to becoming a pro triathlete, and now he's only 75 to 90 seconds off that front pack with those lead swimmers. So he's swimming very, very strongly. So we ask what he did, what he focused on, And what was his mindset and what sort of things did he learn from the elite athletes that he was training with, like the the Brownlee brothers and several other high-level triathletes and swimmers and what he learned from them. So let's get stuck into today's podcast episode with Will Draper. Will, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, pleased to to be on here. I've watched the videos for years, so it feels a bit weird talking about my own swimming now. (laughs) Well, you're the the star of today. It's uh, When you sent through that video of your, your recent swim technique, I was so blown away with just how much of an improvement you made in in the last four or five years. It looks like a looks like a different person. Do you feel like a different person in the water? Yeah, I think with swimming, you just can't compare it like any other sport. Like month on month, you literally have to go back years, and that's when you see the differences. and And they are there if you've kind of stuck at it. I feel like it's easy to think that you're not improving, and then you look back and you're like, "Wow, it's made such a difference." Just pursuing like technique and everything like that. And I remember a couple of years ago, you described yourself as a non-swimmer. Can you describe your initial feelings towards swimming and how they've evolved over time? Yeah, so I knew how to swim and my mum was a swim instructor for kids. So I was very lucky that I had parents that would take me into the pool because I think that's part of it. And I was also lucky that my auntie lived where there was a bit of surfing down in the south of England in Cornwall. So I had done some surfing where you kind of get battered by the open water. But my first 750 was over 15 minutes. So it was slower than two minute per hundred pace. So I never had any speed. And actually, I remember I did that race 
when I used to just cycle and I went down to a swimming pool to check if I could actually complete 750 meters without having to stop basically. And, and I did it in a pool just about, and yeah, now it's just completely changed. It's just like almost every day in the pool and, and dedicated so much time over the years to it. It's crazy when you look back on it, but it's been, been worth it. I will say. Was there a key moment for you that made you decide to pursue triathlon seriously and turn pro? Yeah, I, my brother and I both used to cycle and he actually reached a higher level than I ever did. He was seventh at the junior world championships. And I think nowadays that would secure you a ride on the world tour, but four or five, six years ago when he did it, it wasn't the case. They didn't really take on young riders, but he actually went to the Gold Coast Commonwealth games and I was on the long list for cycling, but I didn't get selected. So my mum and dad and brother were down in Gold Coast and I was at home and I wasn't really enjoying cycling so much and I kind of wanted some new goals and just decided to take up triathlon and pretty soon thought I actually want to do this quite seriously because I was already trying to turn professional in cycling. And do you feel like, so you obviously had a very strong cycling background. What was it for the running? Did, did you get that up to speed pretty quickly and, and quicker than you did with the swimming? Yeah, so... A lot of people, I do have a background in cycling and I would say that I have a strong background in cycling, but I only cycled until I was 17. And at that age, a lot of your races are like circuit racing, which is really beneficial to short course and the tactics of short course racing. But just with not having a strong enough swim to compete in short course, I had to go into long course where the background I had of circuit racing wasn't exactly perfect for 90K, 70.3 races. So I felt like I knew what I wanted to do and, and knew I had to improve my swim and my run. But it's actually more recently I've realized how high the standard of cycling is now in triathlon. And I don't actually feel any better off than some of the riders out there. But I did used to run a little bit where I'd represent kind of my school at cross country. But it's not like anything you'd see in America or anything like that. It's literally just because no one else would do it. They'd be like, you're pretty fit and healthy. Go for a run. And yeah, the running came a lot more naturally, naturally than the swimming. Can you take me through your, your training regime and how you approached your swimming to be able to improve the way that you have over the last couple of years? Yeah. So initially I trained with the Alaman squad, which is a squad that's over here. It's from anyone from sort of 10, 11, 12 years old up to the older guys are a couple of years older than me, like 24, 25. So I'm 23. And I enjoyed that and I, and I got a lot faster at swimming, but I only got faster. I didn't really get stronger because they were so anaerobic sprint based that I couldn't get what I needed out of those sets. It took me a few years to realize and I actually benefited then from leaving that squad training more on my own because they would do something like nine fifties off three minutes. And the guy who leads that squad just went 48 high and the UK champs or England champs or something. So they're super fast, but it wasn't the right stuff. So it was actually, I see my biggest improvement in my training when I stopped swimming with the squad and actually swam on my own. And then more recently, the past 12 months, I've been lucky enough to join a full-time squad in Leeds with uh, Alistair and Johnny Brownlee and Beth Potter in their training squad, which has made a difference. But the past eight weeks, I've been swimming on my own again. And I I think that it's not the be all and end all to be in a squad because when you do swim on your own, you can tailor everything specifically to you, what you need to do. Yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. I 
I find a combination of both is is really good for myself, where I, I tend to push a lot harder with the squad. I'll commit to doing a longer distance in the squad because I'm not going to get out early. But then, mm-hmm. but then doing some sessions on my own, I can be very specific with with what I'm doing, and I can typically work on faster or shorter cycles as well because mm-hmm. yeah, because you can just do what you need to do. So I think both can be can be great, and I, I'd say there's no excuse to not do well if you don't have a squad or if you can only get to a squad, you know, you can, you, yeah. can, you have people who are successful in the sport who do do either. And you just, just got to use whatever you can to your advantage when it comes to, to that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's pros and cons to both. My biggest asset when I swim on my own is I actually use a tempo trainer, but not for turnover. I use it as like a divide a hundred into four. And then have it so that it's on each turn. So if I want to swim a threshold pace of 116 in training, I'll have it so it beeps every 19 seconds. And if I can get a lane to myself in public, in quiet public hours, I can get into flow so much easier than a busy squad session, say. But then on the other hand, you sometimes really fade in in a session. And when you see someone next to you swimming slightly faster, that is really helpful. So I think, as you say, there's pros and cons to both but i just think if anyone's listening and they only have one option of the two that it is possible to still see really good improvement without having both yeah and i think some kind of accountability or even just something outside of yourself to give you that motivation and whether that's a a tempo trainer beeping every 19 seconds or you're looking up at the the stop clock on the wall or i I like using the form goggles for a lot of my sessions where i can see the pace Mm -hmm. like just having something there to keep you somewhat accountable and keep you on on pace and rather than just wandering aimlessly through the session i find even just something very small can help yeah that's that's the key thing and a thing that i used to do that i don't do anymore is just chasing sessions too hard and trying to be better than your best swim of the past week or the best swim of the past month and sometimes you just have to to be really consistent and i've had months and months where i've got no better and then at the towards the end of it i'm actually getting worse and it wasn't a case of throwing in the towel or changing how i was doing things i was confident that i was doing things the right way and then suddenly i could have a down week and come back in the pool and just have dropped one second off off all my paces so i think sometimes you just gotta be confident in kind of your structure and yourself and know that it will eventually kind of show improvement. It might just not happen straight away like other sports. That Yeah, the, the amount of times that people have said to me, like I, I was practicing something and it felt like nothing was happening and maybe I got a little bit slower, but then like one session or one week, it just clicked for me. And I saw that in the, the compound of that work that I'd done, it had finally paid off. It just happens so regularly. And I think people just give up too soon with that quite often. And I spoke about this on a podcast recently. It was the concept of infinite games versus finite games, which is a concept I heard the author Simon Sinek talk about. And a finite game is like it, where there's clearly defined rules and an endpoint, and there's there's winners. And that might be like a let's say a, a triathlon that you're training for, like that's a finite game. But if I think if you think of your swimming as an infinite game, where the aim isn't to you know to to win it swimming, it's just to to keep swimming and have that longevity in it i think that you can approach things in a way where you're just happy you know working at things and just that continue 
the, the sorry the, the frequency and just being able to to stick with things and kind of happy working away and i think the payoff then happens after you know, after several weeks and several months so not trying to to rush things or force things so i've tried to take that approach to to swimming and to other things it's like what can i continue to do forever and yeah and, and, I, and i found that to be really helpful especially with like gym work and and swimming where i don't need to just smash a session and smash myself it's just no if i can just be consistent with things then i'll probably be better off long term yeah exactly the reward comes from the struggle and everyone wants this goal to achieve and, and reach but the problem is if you get there then you work better if there's a goal that you'll never achieve because you just keep working towards it but i think with triathlon especially i like to think about how fast swimmers are like full distance swimmers if you look at them irish lads the brothers in the 1500 i think one just got the world record or european record and i think of a level of that as an end goal being unachievable and then when you look at triathlon swimming you actually think well it must be quite achievable because there's a lot of people that do actually swim front pack or do swim up the front and from that aspect it it actually makes triathlon seem a little bit more approachable if you think how unapproachable a professional swimming is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, was there any barriers that you had to overcome mentally when it came to swimming, whether it was in the open water, whether it was feeling like you could mix it with those better swimmers? Was there anything that, that arised over the last couple of years for you? Probably when I started working with my coach, he was an existing, he still kind of mentors me now, but unfortunately I can't actually afford to pay him when I was living in Leeds. So he's very good to me, but he's a guy called Mark Buckingham and I got a sponsorship off a wetsuit company called Yonder. And the co-founder Angus told me that the other co-founder Mark was an ex runner. And at 24, he turned to triathlon and he had to swim a 400 meter TT, I think in under five minutes, 20 in order to get on. British triathlons development program at the time, which I don't think they do that anymore. You need to be quite a bit faster than that. But I remember thinking, oh, well, that's good that it's achievable and didn't think much of it. Then I actually raced Mark in a race that was held in the UK just in lockdown. And I came out at the back on, on my own, kind of with two other guys. Then there was a main pack of kind of strong bikers and guys that aren't so good at swimming. Like Joe Skipper was in that main pack. Then there was a front pack. Of I think maybe Reese Barkley, Josh Lewis, guys that actually have led out the front of internationals or up there. And Mark Buckingham was on the back of the front pack. So not only was he not, a, he was a non-swimmer. He then was suddenly coming out with this front pack. So I was like, who is this guy? I need to talk to him. And then Angus got me in touch. And then he was helping Johnny Brownlee into Tokyo. And after that, he was going to coach more athletes. And he came on board as a coach and what he did for me was he helped me with zones, which I never really stuck to. I was always a, a sucker for chasing best average in a lot of swims. And he really helped me just be like, now nah, stick to the zone. It should be achievable on a bad day and it should be achievable on a good day. It's not unrealistic. And another thing he helped me with was just how important getting on feet was. I know that when I was an age group, it was a little bit harder because the race was more dynamic and people set off fast and people don't set off fast enough and it's a bit more all over the place. But when you're in a pro race, you have to go fast at the start and you have to get on feet because that the race is going to go away from you and there's not going to be a second chance. And he just drilled into me how important 
getting onto feet was and establishing that kind of part of open water swimming, which I just thought, oh, it's beneficial, but never thought much more of it. And uh, yeah, when I started to do that, I actually started to sense the fact that I was in the mix in races and obviously you need the strength on top of it, but it was a bit of a bit of a thing that just a kind of moment that you look back at and you think you're silly to have not thought how important it was, but now it does make a world of difference physically mm. and mentally. I've got two questions there. So tell, tell me more about the, what you changed in terms of the, the zones, apart from going you know, best average as fast as you can hold for the whole set. And then mm-hmm. what did you do to train being able to get on feet? So I used to do a lot of mixed sets, which is very classic. And you know where you'd go in and you'd do a warm up, and then you do some fast stuff and some threshold stuff and a, a cool down. And you kind of do that each time because you felt like you were getting a good mix of improving everywhere. And then when I trained with Mark and he basically trains the same way that Alistair and Johnny do. So when I trained with him for a year before I went and joined that squad in Leeds, I went there and it was pretty much identical to what I had been doing, but I'd have say five zones and the way that my training works now, and it would works on that squad, which they're open about is that Monday is strength aerobic. So just building strength Tuesdays, VO2, which would be regarded as your fastest pace, but unlike what I was doing, which was just out and out as fast as I could, VO2 is in their eyes is a little bit more like a controlled speed, like a realistic speed compared to what you'd race. Another thing I used to do with my VO2 was, I think that 50s, it might be a controversial topic, but I think 50s are easy to misguide yourself into how fast you actually are, because I feel like even if you're unfit or if you're not very fast, you can get away with having a fast session if it's just built up of 50s. So that's 50 meters that I'm talking about. So we started to do more 75s, 100s, even up to 150 on the speed work, just to give you that more realistic idea. And then Wednesday would be long aerobic, long aerobic wet reps or in open water in summer. Thursday would be threshold and Friday would be kind of your drills and your mix. And I think the big part for me was I always was slow in the warm up, and I saved everything from the main sets and I had a clear, I knew what my threshold was. I sat for so many months. I literally think I sat for about 10 months on a 120 threshold off a 135 off time. And I was just kept asking Mark to change it, take me off it. I was doing 2100s every week, every Thursday. And occasionally he'd give me six 150s, four 100s, two times through. And he didn't change me off it. And it was just the fact that I had these zones, which were these set speeds. And as I mentioned before, I could hit them on a good day, but I wouldn't push past them because I'd know that a bad day would be due. And on those bad days, I could just about squeeze onto them. And I think that was a big game changer in my swimming was just going into the pool and being like, right, I'm going to go this pace today or that pace today. And it is achievable. And it's not like, oh, last week I kind of went one or two seconds faster. Maybe I can do it again this week because it's just not a sustainable way to think because there is going to be days you're going to get into the pool and feel terrible yeah that's that's really interesting i i agree with you on the on the 50s as well and i was chatting to a mate of mine who is a is a pro triathlete and he he realized that he struggled to get out fast enough in his races and one of the things he changed was he started to do a a, a particular set that was essentially 150 at at 
the, the breakout race pace, like the first, the first 150 meters of a race. So 150 at yeah, like front end race pace. And then he'd do 250 just recovery, but it's not really yeah. easy. It's like a six out of 10, just get the heart rate back down and settle. And he'd just keep doing those, those one fifties and he, that made a huge difference. Yeah. And he was able to lead. He was like, I think at world champs, he was like, he was out there at the, in, in the front with, with the big guys and he'd never been out there before, but he just like to him, he realized, okay, that's, that was the one main thing that he was missing was that breakout speed. Yeah. That's something we actually spoke about off not on this podcast was just that type of training. I've actually started to incorporate it, as I say, because I'm training on my own. I can change sets and I've done a few things where I think I can recover really quick on the wall, but that's just not what you get in a race. You, even if it's just mm. 10 seconds or 15 seconds, you're not going to get that in a race. So I have actually done the past few weeks, a couple of my sprint sets where I've broken them up with long recovery rather than say on a Friday, we do about 300 meters of sprinting. I'll do 75 max into 125 or 175 easy and i think that that is an important important little trick to getting used to that takeout and that relaxing because there's a difference between stopping on the wall and letting your heart rate go down 10 beats and actually doing it while kind of moving and turning in the water mm. was there a particular uh, race or, or moment in your triathlon career where your improved swimming ability made a, a big difference on the overall outcome? There was a particular race. I'll start off with telling you a particular race where my poor swimming ability was highlighted. It was when I first started triathlon and I'd done it for about eight months or something over a, over a winter and into a season, you had to do a qualifier for the British series. And it was a 800 meter time trial on a Saturday and then on a Sunday you did the you were set off in the order you would have came out the water for a, a bike and a run just because it was cold and the time of year etc and this was to qualify you for a series I remember the cutoff for the 800 was at 1140 which I think was around 128 per 100 so I just focused on that for months and months and months I did the swim I was second to last in this swim I don't know how I even beat someone I think I swam about 1130 but these are all super fast kids like nine minutes at the front and I did, there was about 150 people. And anyway, I, I passed loads of them on the bike and run because I was so outweighed strength there. And I ended up qualifying for this British series, British super series, and in about 35th, and there were 40 in it. So I qualified and my first race was WTS Leeds. And it was the kind of junior version of that. And it was a super sprint. And I remember saying to my mum and dad, like, look, the people that I'm stood next to on the start line, on average, they're about 40th in the swim. And I was like, I was 150th in that swim. So I think I'm going to get like some time put into me here. And they were like, oh, it's only 400 meters. And I remember I lost so much time that the crossing points had opened when I was coming. I don't know if anyone has race leads, but when you come up out of the water up to transition, the crossing points had actually opened because they thought that all the swimmers were done. I had probably in a space of 400 meters, I probably lost about 45 seconds to a minute off the back of all these uh, fast kids and, and it kind of hit me then how important swimming was. And that was my kind of moment that I thought like, I need to get better at swimming and it's not going to be, it's not going to happen quick. Cause I've just spent eight months and I'm still getting absolutely blown out the water here. And that, that was kind of when I realized this is going to be a, a long project over the next 10 years. But I think more recently this year, I've actually been able to make decisions in a race i think it's the first time i've ever been able to make decisions like i'm going to slow down or i'm going to try and get on them feet or i'm going to switch across or 
I can see that's going over there or whatever, which I think, I guess, makes me feel a little bit more like a stronger swimmer if I'm composed enough at the start of a pro race to kind of pick and choose some, make some decisions. Whereas in the past, it was just like all out, swing your arms kind of thing. Yeah, that's it's great to hear you say that because I see it as when when you get to that level or that point in your swimming where you can almost be a like almost be a third person to your swimming where you're able to make these judgments and all right do i need to go over to this pack do i need to go a little bit harder do i need to overtake when you can kind of just sit back and analyze and make decisions that's kind of that that's that next level and that next step with your swimming compared to just going out and it's just survival there's one pace and you just want to get get through it so and and there's no shortcuts to that it's it comes from race experience it comes from having the fitness and the strength to be able to adjust your pace and and know what you can sustain throughout a a race but i think when people get to that point that's when their swimming really becomes a lot more enjoyable because you're not just not just a victim to your circumstances (laughs) and and then you, you can get such better results obviously because you can be a lot smarter about the things that you're doing inside in a race so it's yeah and that takes time how how long do you feel like it took you to get to that point before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode this episode is proudly brought to you by form smart swim goggles they've been a long time sponsor of the podcast and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles and we know swimming is a highly technical sport but without the guidance of a coach on deck identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, Head Coach, and this addresses that problem head on. It gives them as improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis. Head Coach provides real-time visual coaching via the Form Smart Swim Goggles augmented reality display. During and after a swim, Head Coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics, form score and head coach skills. Form score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from zero to 100, defined by your pace and your stroke length. Head coach skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency. Head roll, head pitch, set pacing, interval pacing, and breathing time to neutral. And after completing a session, you can check back in on the form app to track your progress. And Head Coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data-driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim Goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code EFFORTLESS on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim Goggles. I remember in that squad, where I trained with the sprinters to start with, I was so, I was so out of my depth. I couldn't even flip turn on a wall. And these were guys that were swimming 50 seconds for a hundred, but they were so <laughs> nice to me and they were, they were lazy with their distance sets. So I kind of could get away with slotting in between. But I remember speaking to one of them asking like, first of all, I couldn't flip turn without it being so overwhelming that it was all I thought about for the whole length. And I, I remember saying to him, I still remember now the, the feeling of being like, is this ever natural? And I teach or help some of my friends now swim. And I, I explained to them that I was at that point where I thought it's never natural and it never comes. I remember one of them said it was about three years of consistent swimming. So I say it probably took five years because it took me two years to them first two years in 2018 2019 you're just learning about yourself and being able to swim and and what it means and stuff and then it took three good years 
And I would say at that point, I feel, I feel like now I can, I would describe it as if I, I go into a public swimming session and, and I stand out. I don't just look like a public swimmer. Someone will say to me, are you a professional swimmer? And I'll say, no, I'm not. I wish I was as good as that, but I do professional triathlon and I do spend a lot of time in the water. But for a long time, I could go into public swimming and uh, some guy on his lunch break would probably put me away in some 100s. <laughs> I've had a couple of athletes that I coach tell me that like they've been at the pool and, and someone's made a comment like, wow, you've got a, you've got a great <laughs> stroke or you look like a, yeah, you look like a professional swimmer and as a like and their confidence and like they're just beaming after that mm-hmm. and it's such a such a nice compliment to get from from someone at the pool so the fact that you've put in the work to to get there is is awesome because it's you know you, you go to the pool and you can those swimmers do do stand out and i think their their confidence and their comfort even just walking into the pool that stands out as well so it's yeah the it's trunks the trunks get smaller that's what I've noticed. <laughs> you, yeah, start with, very you start with the jammers you know, and the full length ones that go down to the end of your quad. Then you go for the half length. Then you go for the like box shaped ones. And then it, when you're real confident, you go for the, for the budgie smugglers. Yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes it even starts with the, with the board shorts as well, if you're, uh, yeah, you're bringing yeah. you to it. Yeah. And if you are wearing board shorts, you're making it really hard on yourself. Just at least get some jammers so you're not creating heat. Yeah, actually, I literally have started using drag shorts. Do you know the ones that are like mesh on my, over yeah, the top yeah. of my short, just for my Tuesday sessions? Because I feel like I can sprint really fast, but I actually want to be a bit stronger. I actually think that they don't make that much difference at all. And I thought... If I really want to make a difference, I'd just stick a pair of like, as you say, board shorts on and I bet they'll feel lethal, like trying to get up to speed off the walls with them on, with the pockets full of water. Yeah, that'd, that'd do it for sure. I haven't tied myself with board shorts versus without board shorts, but I should, should do it. I was wearing, I've got this big sponge that I sometimes wear for strength sets and it's, mm-hmm. what do I do? It slows me down by, it's going to think like 41. So it slows me down by nearly 10 seconds of 50 so it's really hard no it's more than that actually it's 12 seconds so it's really hard work with this big sponge yeah i went i went the other way recently and did did a 750 a 1500 and a 100 and one of the guys lent me he's been to the commonwealth games they had the the commonwealth shorts that they were given from speedo or whatever i don't you could probably buy them but it was the first time i had them and i thought getting like a cycling skin suit on was hard and these yeah. must have been like, I don't know what they were, but they were so small. And I must have spent 15 minutes in the changing room trying to get them on. And uh, yeah, I, I felt like I felt like Leah Thomas when I had actually managed to finally get them on. <laughs> and I think I shaved a second off per hundred just from the compression around the legs. Yeah. And that's just the shorts. Like we used to wear the full body suits and that would be a half hour mission to get the body suit on. And that was almost your race done because it was that hard to, to get the race suits on. But they were so much faster. I remember the first time I wore it, I dived in and I felt like after I popped up, like I felt like I popped up out of the water because of the amount of <laughs> like just, you feel like you get buoyancy from it, but you don't really, but yeah. it's just that less, less friction. And it's, yeah. it's amazing. Just felt completely different. So I'm glad they actually got rid of them because it was such a mission to get into those, those suits. So yeah, good I, I do think the girls get the benefit of the full body suit still to some degree. They get it over yeah. the shoulders, but they look lethal. I see them, sometimes they'll do a, a squad practice where they do it in suits and they pull them off their shoulders while they wait between reps and 
if it's say 10 minutes or 20 minutes because they're doing a bit more of a race sim or 30 minutes and it's just all red around their shoulders just with how tight it's been so uh, yeah if anyone's uh, not experienced that i don't think you're missing out on anything <laughs> no absolutely not uh, what advice would you give to non-swimmers who might be uh, intimidated by the swimming aspect of triathlon mm, i have a friend actually who has just started swimming and and this is a guy that He's a close friend of mine. We used to cycle and and he cycled at a, a good level, to be fair to him, at a kind of national UK level. And he's decided to get into triathlon, which is great for me. I've got several friends now that have got into it. And one of my friends did an Ironman where I couldn't finish recently. And, and it's great to see. And, and he couldn't swim a length without, he keeps getting water up his nose. So it's been a bit of a, a kind of thing with him to try and help him. And I was down in him in the pool and, we were like just we were in a shallow pool and we were walking walking along the bottom of the pool. I did it with him because I didn't want him to feel embarrassed in any way. And we were doing the the kind of arm turnover, but while walking, you know, and breathing out your nose, and just getting used to that. And I think like people expect that you are just going to go to a pool and be able to do something quite well, and that and, and that if you don't, everyone's going to judge you there. But I think. If you're a complete non-swimmer, just get in it. Try and find a shallow pool, which I mean, one that you can stand up in, and that'll help your confidence. And he couldn't do more than when I first went down with him. He couldn't do more than ten meters, but he was brave enough to stay consistent with it because it's not easy. And especially if you've done sport at a high level elsewhere, it's almost embarrassing. But he now is telling me he's doing his first. Oh, he did his first hundred the other day, and and I think it will be more than another couple of weeks before he'll start getting into like reps where you'll go and do repeats of hundreds or whatever. So I think if you're new to it, you you just have to really embrace the fact you're going to have to take yourself out of your comfort zone and start because you have to start somewhere and it's probably not going to look pretty, but I can guarantee everyone who's in that pool, they don't, you, they're not embarrassed or they're not the kind of judging you. They're just thinking like, mm. I remember when I was like that because even myself, I remember just that first sort of, intro to swimming it's not natural so don't expect it to be yeah you can't you can't get better at it well you can't start swimming by reading a book about it like you just need to get in the water and and you you just have to be willing to suck at it for for a long time and yeah uh, as you said get out of your comfort zone and yeah i do see people at the pool who are who are new because they're stopping after 25 or they're having to stand up and it's like i think like good on you like it's it's a it can be a very intimidating thing to start swimming as an adult but uh, as you said the people at the pool they they under, understand of anyone they're going to be the people who will understand the most of what you're going through yeah so, exactly yeah they're they're not going to be be judging so yeah yeah and the only other piece of advice i have that i learned which is for it's from as soon as you start up to at my level at professional is just this alistair brownlee is big on this is just the time on the wall is just like, just, you just shouldn't spend much time on the wall. And it's a mistake I've made in the past. And I see it with my friends and they, I look at their Garmin data and their elapsed time is like half an hour longer than their whole swim. Might be 45 minutes to swim and half an hour elapsed time. But if you think about running or anything like that, if you're trying to do a half Ironman or a full Ironman or even a sprint distance where you're trying to run, uh, swim consistently for a decent period of time the races are 15 half an hour over an hour long and people just get in this habit i see them and i think 
you need to swim to get better at swimming and your warm up should be nice and easy that it's pretty much touch and go now for me on a warm up if it's I do 400 swim, 300 pull, 200 paddles, 100 kick, but I'm not, I don't need to recover between them reps. I'm just warming up. So I'll literally stop and then put the pull boy in and go again. And I think that that is something that has made a big difference for me. Alistair instilled it in me just because that's the way the squad works. And now I do it myself and I tell my mates, I'm like, you ain't going to get any better stood on the wall. Do your warm up, take a bit of a reset mentally, do your prep, have a minute, have a drink, then do your main set. But just don't stand on the wall. It's at the end of the day, it's swimming. It's not, it's not, it's a bad habit to get into stopping. Cause if you did it while running, you'd feel like a, feel like a wally really. If you just kept stopping every 200 meters and standing at the side of the road for 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point, especially if triathletes who are training for three sports and time limited. So just spend that time at the pool, primarily swimming. And I guess the, the caveat there is depends on what you're training for you look at those the sprinters that you mentioned at the start they're doing yeah. six or eight fifties or six fifties off three minutes so there's a lot of time on the wall so it just depends on on what you're training for and what the purpose of the session is but if you're doing distance yeah distance swimming yeah uh, the majority of people uh, yeah as, as a an iron man or half half iron man athlete it's going to yeah you, you can kill a lot of time just by mucking around on the wall so I think that's a that's a great a great point. Yeah, uh, just yeah, as I say, yeah, the the way the the sessions work as I was talking earlier is yeah, the VO two the speed session would be about thirty seconds rest. I feel like unless you're an anaerobic athlete, you're not going to benefit from any more than that. And then threshold like ten seconds rest. I do threshold now three k sets uh, with around seven to twelve seconds rest between reps, and it feels like nothing. But that is threshold if you're doing it right. It shouldn't be, if you're needing more than, well, this is the way I train because I know that different athletes are different, but if I need more than 15 seconds to recover, I'm swimming too hard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so when you, you got in touch the the other day, your your target was, so you're about, I think, 60 to 90 seconds off the, the front pack in your, your races. What are your future triathlon goals over the next couple of years? What are you having in your sights? Yeah, so I feel like, I'm kind of only just still on the rise and everyone has their own story and you see all these athletes breaking out and it's cool to see. And the sport, when I swap to the sport, I feel like the level I'm at now and the training I do, I'd, back then it would have had me up there as one of the kind of best 70.3 guys on the scene. But obviously it's grown. That was five years ago. It's grown now. I think that the benefit of swimming is exponential. In age group racing, It was it was good and it was maybe, I don't want anyone to think that swimming is not important, but I think in pro racing, it's so different because these bike trains go and you've just got to be on them. Like I train with other athletes. I know what Alistair holds at the front. I know what athletes in the group in front of me hold. And I know what what's I have to hold. And if I take that 60 to 90 seconds off, which if you're getting on them fast feet, that's not actually 60 to 90 seconds. That's only maybe 45 seconds faster. And the other 45 is just the second half of the race where occasionally I've led my group the second half of the race. And I want to be kind of near my limit on the feet, which would be perfect, really. But I think that my PCO bike ranking went up and I biked less watts than the normal most races. And it's just because that first 20 minutes, I'm in a group and I might bridge across to another one. And I can actually race it more dynamically. So 
for me, my long-term goals are to be top sort of, I'm ranked 160th, I think, in the minute. So if I say next year, ranked 100th, the year after that, 50th, and then by 2026, top 15. And I think the way I'm going to get that is from is from swimming well, biking easy, being a, a strong biker and biking easy and running fast off the bike because I have actually ran a 110 high half off the bike, but it was <laughs> off of a bike that I crashed on. And I actually rode it in at like 270 watts, whereas I'd normally ride at say 300 or 310. So I know that if I have an easy bike, I can run fast and even work on that even more in the future. So I think that's my avenue to success, really. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. And I, I just love the fact that you're, you're looking a couple of years ahead. You're not looking to go, all right, like next year, like it's it's got to happen for me. Just and when you look at the best athletes, it just does not happen overnight. There's a there's a long no. there's a long long background in in that training and consistency. So, Will, it's been great having you on the podcast, and just to see that transformation in your swimming over the last few years really blew me away. So, I appreciate you getting back in touch a few weeks ago just to send through your latest video. And you said before the call as well that you feel like you're swimming even better than that last video, which would should be great to see too. Yeah, I'll I'll try and get some more footage. I just It'd been a long, a long time since I kind of took that footage and it was just after off season as well. And straight away, it's like for anyone just looking at videos of yourself, I watch all the effortless swimming videos. So I know what the, the things I need to do are. And yeah, I just picked up one or two things. One of the things I noticed, I don't know if you'll pick it up, but there was a video you did on analyzing yourself, which is when you were reaching out in front and you were too close to the surface of the water. And in my head, I, for some reason, just was convinced that that's what I needed to do just for hydrodynamics or whatever. And I actually go a little bit deeper now when I reach out in front and that's made quite a good difference. And I kind of press my chest down, point with the back of my head and I feel even higher again in the water. And it's just from get a video of yourself, watch it. And then if you just cross-reference it with the Effortless Women YouTube channel, then you can, you can improve overnight, really. That's something that you can't improve your strength. But I think that your technique and that I know that you have different courses and stuff I think that is I almost forgot to improve it and I maybe regret not getting video footage sooner because I might have picked up one or two seconds here or there well I appreciate I appreciate that a lot and I mean looking at your 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 body position is so much better than than where it was and like just yeah like just looking at you getting that footage and making a, a few small changes and just trying to keep it simple it's yeah it, it, it makes a huge difference and i mean I, I with the data i was using the eo swim better just to look at the forces and i saw that my drag on my left hand which is typically the high one it was something like six percent or seven percent which is ridiculous like way too high it should be zero mm-hmm. with your hand drag which is palm facing forwards and mm-hmm. yeah i was just creating a heap of drag with with that so there's there's all these little things that we can can improve on so yeah. well i wish you i wish you all the best for the for the future and those that are listening while post the comparison video on youtube by the time this episode has gone live so check out our youtube channel for will's before video which we did a feedback friday on in 2019 i believe and yeah. and then the comparison one to today so go to the youtube channel and, and check that out and give uh, will a follow as well on social media what's your where's the best place to find you instagram yeah will underscore try nice and straight to the point Love it. <laughs> well, we'll appreciate your time. And I know it's, it's late there. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. I look forward to That's okay. seeing what you achieve in the future. Cheers. Yeah. 2027, I'll come back on if I've 
I'll lead out Ironman Worlds. I'll be the first person to do it from a non-swimming background. That's the dream. Love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.